Greetings from Podcastville. The Church of What's Happening Now is brought to you by my motherfucking bookie. Let me tell you something. It's NCAA. March Madness is here. And it's time to bet with the best at my bookie. Let me tell you, even grandmothers fill out brackets. So place your bets with my bookie now before you miss out. What we're going to do is this. My bookie will match your deposit with a 50% bonus up to $1,000 right now. Getting ready for March Madness. Use promo code CHURCH, C-H-U-R-C-H, to activate the offer. Visit mybookie.ag today. Listen, you play, you win, you get paid. Only at mybookie.ag. The church is also brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Listen, you know how it is to hire somebody? Do you have any idea? It's hard to find qualified candidates. It takes a long time, and it's too many applicants. And with ZipRecruiter, that makes it a lot easier. Let me tell you you're trying to do your job. You're trying to do your job. And all of a sudden, now you got to stop and hire and look at resumes and talk to people and creepy people come in your office. You need that? It's, it's over today. We're going to make this nice and easy. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find the people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. That's it. And right now, the church family can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. At ZipRecruiter.com slash church. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash church. C-H-U-R-C-H. ZipRecruiter.com slash church. It's Monday, the 11th of March. Kick this motherfucking mule, Lee. Are you fucking kidding me or what? It's the week, bitches. St. Patty's week. There's a lot of shit going on. Here we go. Kick this mule. I want the speakers fucking burning today. Oh. Are you fucking... That's it. Grab your balls. Salute the fucking flag. It's on, motherfuckers. Last week was last week. This week is this week. It's a new set of rules. They can all suck your dick. What's up, you bad motherfuckers? Uncle Joey here, Lee Syatti, a.k.a. the Christ Killer, a.k.a. the Flying Jew, a.k.a. I'm sick. I mean, I'm kind. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Anyway, I want to thank the Houston Improv and the people that came to the shows that were great. Five sold-out shows, fantastic. You know, it's so weird when I was down there. Thursday night, a lady came up to me, took a picture, and showed me a picture of me and Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan had hair at the time. He, it, it was fucking, we were kids. It had to be 1999, 98, 2000, around there. And uh, I looked at the picture. You know, I was coked up. I was still fucking doing drugs and whatnot. When I looked at the picture, that's the first thing I know. But I also noticed that Jesus Christ had been going to Houston for that fucking long. That must be awesome. It's, you know, I've been going to Houston since 97 when Houston Lapstop was the hottest club in the country. <clears throat> You're like, Joey, what does that mean? There was a couple clubs in the area in Houston at the time. But they attracted this weird... You had to give it to Mark Babbitt. He knew how to book a club. 
and where the location was, the people that were coming. It was called Inside the Loop, and it was on, on Gray, whatever, West Gray, whatever the fuck, and it was just a great neighborhood, and it was a different time. You know, Bill Hicks had started there, Kennison had started there. You know, uh, there was a dry cleaner across the street when they banned Kennison. He put himself on a cross across the street from the club. That was like a Jesus legendary Christ. spot, you know. It was just such a legendary place to go to because of what had been there before you. And, uh, like, I cut my fucking teeth in that room, you know. And the last stop was the last stop. Then they moved and they switched owners and it was a nightmare. But the people of Houston were still there. They were still comedy fans. It's like Portland has come along over the years and Charlotte and all these. You go to these clubs and it's exciting. People are excited to see comedy. Where 15 years ago in that area, comedy was just breaking through. Now people are hip. People listen to podcasts. People know what time is going on. But Houston this weekend was a, to a complete different level. And I just wanted to thank you guys. As usual, I went to fucking Papa Do's. I went to Papacito's. Uh, a nice young lady from Pasadena left me uh, a coupon for Chewy's. I didn't get to use it this time, but I use it in uh, May when I go back to Dallas and fucking uh, San Antonio, May 3rd and 4th. I'm in Dallas, and then the 4th, I'm in San Antonio. But we'll get to that shit later. For the last three weeks, I've avoided a topic on this show for a reason. This podcast is not a platform to drag a dog in here on you. I never want to drag a dog in here on you, especially on a fucking Monday. But we got to get the elephant out of the fucking room between us. Uh, February 22nd, I had I got up that morning and I went to Lyft and I played with the baby. And then I took the baby to school and then I went to Lyft. And I I was going to uh, Las Vegas with Kate and uh, we, we got to Burbank and F Kate flew out before me. And as I was sitting down on the fucking plane... I mean, the plane hadn't taken off yet, and people were still boarding. If you ever flown in and out of Burbank, you could they let you walk in through the back of the plane. So while most fucking momos are walking through the front, I just walk to the back of the plane and take a seat in the back because when you get to Vegas, you're going to have to wait for luggage anyway, and it's always a fucking long walk, so who gives a fuck where you sit on a Southwest flight? So I sat down, and two minutes into that, I sit down, the phone rings, and it's my brother, Steve Simone, and he goes, did you hear the bad news? And I go, no. And he goes, you know, Brody was found this morning, hung himself. Guys, it was like a kick to the stomach on the plane. This couple got, I don't know, if you've ever been on a plane from Burbank to Vegas, they even wrote a movie about it, a TV show last year about Vegas. It's a crazy flight. The reason why it's so crazy is because people are excited. People are excited to go to fucking Vegas. And every time I get on one of those planes, like the one time they fucking, the cops had to come on the plane and take 10 kids off. There's always drama on those flights. These are all these people that were ready to go. And here I am sitting in the edge seat crying, like crying, like bawling. And I'm trying to wipe the tears and make believe like I got something in my eyes and I had to get up and go and get tissues from the thing. And I sat back down and, when I landed in Vegas, you know, the phone fucking goes off. You had six messages, and every message was worse. And, uh, you know, this was supposed to be an exciting night for me. I was on fucking the, the strip on, on, you know, in Las Vegas. And in the car, all I'm thinking about is this fucking kid. And, you know, he killed himself, and he was just on the show a couple of weeks earlier. <clears throat> and he spoke about getting off the medication, and I didn't know how to feel. And then... 
you know, I got to the hotel and Kate was crying because Kate was working with me that weekend. So I, I took Kate and we ate dinner together and I hung out with her as much as I could. And, and I had a job to do. I had a fucking job to do. I felt like shit, but I had a job to do. I don't know if you guys know this. I suffer from ear infections. I have to I have to take a shower with earplugs in because the water gets in my ear. And then when I fly, I get infections and shit. So I got to put the fucking things in my ear. So Kate left and uh, the show was going to start at 8. And, you know, when I go to Vegas, it's all about the shower. The shower is always huge and the fucking sweet. I love taking a shower because you can sit down and think. And I took a couple of hips off the vapor pen. I didn't smoke pot at all that day, by the way. I smoked, a, I think I smoked in the morning. But before I took the baby to school, like when I get up in the morning, I always smoke. But I didn't smoke the rest of the day. I didn't even want to leave my hotel room. I felt so bad when I was in Vegas. So I hit the vapor pen. I put the plugs in my hand. I went in the shower. And while I was in the shower and the water was hitting me and I was sitting there, I thought about Brody's last 10 minutes. Like, what, what the fuck was he doing? You know, like, what was he thinking? What was he feeling? And all of a sudden, my heart started racing. Um, you know, I broke down a little bit emotionally in the shower. You know, I started seeing him as a kid. You know, I, I still remember having the conversation with him in Seattle about him moving to New York because obviously he was just distinctively different than everybody else. And New York would really accept him the way they accepted him, Mitch Hedberg, you know. So I had this little breakdown. I got out of the shower. I wiped my face. And, uh, you know, I had a job to do, guys. I had a fucking job to do. So I put it in the back burner like I usually do with everything when it comes to that type of stuff, emotions. And I, you know, did the show. And we tried to keep it together. We ate afterwards, her, myself. Brent, uh, my instructor over at Subconscious, we ate some late night dinner. We hung out till two. So I never really, I did what I did as a child when my mother died. I kept people around so the pain wouldn't be around. And I waited till I got nice and tired and I asked them to leave. And then I went to sleep. And then the next morning I had to get up and get on the plane and rush. And so the whole time I was avoiding the pain. I was avoiding dealing with Brody's death. We went to Tucson and my buddy showed up, Kent Vela and... The show was great, and the people were great, and the fucking food was great, and the tacos were great. So it, it wasn't until the next day, that Sunday, when I got off the plane, when Nah was fronted with it, and I spoke to Josh Wolf, and Josh Wolf was very close to Brody. I mean, it was Josh Wolf who introduced me to Brody, and I could hear it in his voice that it was a toll on him. Now, I could have gone on Twitter. You know, Twitter was fucking filled with Brody stuff. You couldn't even open it up. I tried opening it up that Saturday on my phone because when I'm on the road, I don't take the computer I have. The iPad doesn't have Facebook on it or Twitter. I only have Twitter on my phone. I don't have no apps on my iPad, only writing and like HBO Go, uh, Netflix, shit like that. And I have a writing app. That's all I want to do on the road. So when I did open up Twitter, I saw everybody was on there and I live my life to fucking be different. I don't know about you guys. I, I, I don't want to be like everybody fucking else. You know what I'm saying? And I, and I strive to do this every day. You know, I was telling Lee that when I went to my mother's funeral, 
I learned the people who cried the loudest didn't talk to me after my mother died. The people who didn't say shit were the people who came through after my mother died. So I learned who was bullshit and who was not. That's not a reason why I didn't I didn't tweet because I didn't want to go there. You know, I just didn't want to go there. Uh, I got a couple emails from people and a couple twits, uh, you know, on my DM and people going, you know, you haven't written nothing about Brody. What does that matter? What is that? Because well, I didn't write nothing doesn't mean I didn't love the kid. Where, what have we fucking become? What have we fucking become? That we don't have to, you know, show our solidarity. We don't care about this kid. I just didn't want to deal with it, guys. I didn't want to deal with it that, 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 in that level. I didn't even want to mention on the podcast. I didn't want it in my Twitter feed. I didn't want it in my Facebook feed. I wanted to feel it in my heart. I didn't want to write anything down that I would regret later. That was number one. Number one, if you know anything about fucking death, especially the way it happened here. Listen, when Chris Cornell died, it bothered me. When people commit suicide, yes, if you have any empathy at all, it bothered me. This was my backyard. This was a friend of mine who sat across from me in his chair a month earlier and told us, as the church family, us, that he was fine and alive and kicking and he was off the medication and blah, 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 blah. But that's not the point here. The point here is that there's different phases of grieving. There's the sad phase, then you get angry, and then you fucking get sad, and then you get frustrated. You know, all I kept thinking about was Brody's last 10 minutes. And until I figured out what he went through, what he felt like those last 10 minutes, which I never know, and I'll never want to know. I'll never want to know what those last 10 minutes of your life feel like. When you're getting ready to do something like that and your mind takes over everything and lies to you. Because as you could see, and as I know for a fucking fact now, there are people still walking around shell shock. Now tonight, I have to do something that I fucking hate doing. I have to go to the comedy store and get up in front of people and give some, some fucking speech about, you know, a story about Brody. Listen, man. This is so much in my backyard, and you guys know me, that when it comes to Brody right now, I don't have no fucking stories. Like, all I am is in search of why this kid would do this when they fucking loved him down there. They loved him at that comedy store. They loved him. He was part of the store. He was who, I mean, Mitzi made him. You know, Mitzi fucking put him on. He was one of those guys that, like Don Barris, you're a part of the fucking store. You will be a part forever. But again, nobody really knows nothing until you lose something. You know, tonight I got to go down there and I got to talk. And I don't even know what the fuck to say. Like, I don't know what the fuck to say. I haven't processed this death yet. This is my weakness in life. You want to know what my weakness is? Death. Because every time somebody dies and I'm close to, I drag the other 15 people that died through it. So t t right now, all I have in my mind is Darren Rago. I have my mother. I have Anthony Balzano on my mind. I have Dominic Special on my mind. I have all those shitty wakes I went to and couldn't figure out why this person is in a fucking casket. That's what I drag with me. I couldn't figure out at that early age in the eighth grade why this fucking 13-year-old kid that never did nothing to nobody was in a fucking casket. 
Then a year later, I had to look at my mother and think about why God would take away somebody's mother. Then a year later, I had to look at that same fucking casket again with my buddy Dominic Speciality. And that did something to me. That did something to me before the age of 18. It's like going to Vietnam and seeing your somebody in your platoon dying. I mean, I didn't see Anthony get hit by a car. I wasn't there when Dominic drowned. You know, I was there to find my mother, but that's what happens. I drag all that shit. So for a few days, like right now, I can feel my blood pressure going up just talking about it because I drag all that shit. I drag Darren Rago in there. I drag this girl in high school that I just thought about today that she was good friends with a friend of mine and shared a lock with me. She died my senior year in a car accident. She got trapped in between a fucking tree and a park. Who the fuck knows? But I think about all these people. That's why every Monday today, I fucking go to my, you know, when I wake up in the morning on Mondays, like I did this morning, I'll go to the altar, my spirit altar, and I change the water, and I'll light a candle to give all those spirits light, just to let them know I'm thinking about it. And now Brody, you know, we lost Marilyn Martinez. We lost Marilyn Martinez's husband. We lost Freddie Soto since I've been at the county store. It's a part of life. But this one hits a lot more. This one hurts and stings a lot more. Because it's the first time a friend of mine that close has taken his fucking life. And I've I've had other friends who have tried to take that life. But no, 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 this one, it hurts. It bothers me. Like I said, I wanted to not put this on the podcast. But since we're doing the memorial today, I mean, they're closing the comedy store. They're going full boat tonight. I, I, I you know, for days I thought about fucking mysteriously getting sick today because I didn't want to go down there and talk but I have to. I'm at an age now that I have to stop thinking this way. I have to go down there. Like I didn't go to Mitzi's. I didn't go to Ralphie's. You know when my buddy Jimmy Burkle died I didn't go to his. There were reasons behind it. I could have gotten on a plane and gone to Burkle's and gone up there and talked and I just don't like dealing with that type of shit. I still have Burkle's number in my phone. I still have Ralphie's number in my phone. I still have Brody's number in my phone. I don't like dealing with it. You know, that's where my weakness is. When it comes to debt, I dealt with enough. I'm not in the mood to fucking deal with it. And then I'm sitting there thinking about this medication problem we have now in this fucking country. You know, it's not only the opiate problem. These people's minds, why the fuck would somebody like Chris Cornell do a show, and then go to his fucking room and hang himself. I, I, I just don't understand it. I understand CTE. I understand all these things. But again, Joey, you haven't been there. You don't know what depression is. You know what? Between us as a family, I've had bouts with it. Now, from what I've read about after Brody, I've had bouts with it, but being from the cut that I am, I can't let it overtake me because I don't have the time. You know, I didn't. I never really had the time to get gloomed. I, I think I went through a bout of depression like in 84, and I also went through a bout of depression in 2006 that, that ignited my drug uh, consumption, which made me fucking quit, which is why the reason I'm still here today because I've been clean 11 years from all those type of fucking drugs. But that depression after the longest yard, that nothing happened. I felt like all the years of comedy, oh, 
fucking 15 years of comedy, and now I hit the movie I'm supposed to hit, and nothing happened, and I went into a funk. But I got to be honest with you, at no moment that I think I've taken my life. So it wasn't really a depression like most people fucking go through. You know, from now to the day they put me in my casket, I'm, I'm going to wonder about Brody's last 10 minutes. Like his last 10 minutes, like what his mind told him. So now I got to think of it from two fucking dynamics now. My wife goes to bed at 8.30 a lot of nights. The baby goes to bed at 8.30. Some nights my wife stays up till 9.30. Sometimes she's tired. She goes to bed at 9. And sometimes I sit there for two hours at night. And I watch a little TV and I make a few notes. And I try to write a sentence here. And I try to write a tag to a joke there. I listen to music. I smoke a little bit of the pipe. But now I'm starting to get scared if one night my mind's going to play a trick on me. I, and I obviously have no idea. I think the difference is is that for Brody, it seemed like he he didn't get the breaks between the, the depression. Like to me, if if I had to guess, it was that it was just it finally got to be too much. Like it's not like it's not like he went went through periods of happiness. Like I think that's what what gets you. You know, but. Was he lying to us? You know, for starters, let's put our fucking cards on the table here. I'm the type of guy that there's nobody that's that nice. You know, people who are too nice always make me fucking nervous. So when somebody comes up to me and they're talking to me about positivity and this and this and this, there's to a point that I fucking shut up, shut down. Like I really do. I don't. It's too much shit talking. Just don't show me the positive. Don't don't tell me about the positive. Show me the positive. You know. So somebody tweeted me last week. Over the last couple of weeks, people have been tweeting me, and I guess you know uh, they've been gone back and listened to all of Brody's appearances on the on the show, primarily the last one. And a lot of people have said, "What the fuck?" Then you know he was off the medication. Now again. I don't know the mind of a depressed person. You know, listen, for me, for me, I got to tell you guys something. Comedy saved my life. Comedy saved my life. Comedy saved my life. Why? Because finally my life had purpose and I fell in love with something. And today I sit here and I'm very happy and very fortunate that I fell in love with something so much that all those years, you know, I have friends. I talk to some of you guys. You know, a lot of you guys are young and you're struggling. Well, guess what? You're going to fucking struggle. You're going to struggle. That's the age that you're at. And you think that you're never going to get out of that fucking hole or you're never going to get out of that position. And I got news for you. You're wrong. If you believe and if you fall in love with something, if you fall in love with something so deep and you believe in it, it will give you the dividend. So... In my mind, he was doing great, guys. Guys, he was doing great. Yeah, but Joey, he's not Sebastian. He didn't sell out four shows in the mass. He was doing great. Okay, let me tell you something. From 2000 to 2005, uh, 98 to 2005, I had a very hard time in this town. 
What, what, what hard time did you have, Joy? Rejection. Rejection. I didn't go to Montreal. I was never part of the fucking Rat Pack. There's not, there's not an improv in the country that has my portrait on the fucking wall. I learned to live with it. It wasn't my calling. I didn't know what it was. Did I quit? No. I didn't quit. I kept doing it. And I kept writing. And I kept doing it. And I'd pop a little TV show there. And I'd pop a little TV show there. And still, nobody ever invited me to comedy. Nothing. Not, not, nothing. You look at all those. Nobody fucking talked to me. But Joe Rogan talked to me. Ari Shafir talked to me. Red Band talked to me. Duncan talked to me. You know, Paul Mooney talked to me. Eddie Griffin talked to me. And in my world, where I had come from, shit, that was worth more than any of that shit. That was worth more than any of that shit. Bringing up Chris Rock in the main room Christmas week and him fucking turning around and talking about me on stage that while you motherfuckers are watching all these big names, you better watch this motherfucker. And my wife, who was my wife now, at that time was my girlfriend, I remember her coming home and going, did you hear what Chris Rock said behind you tonight? That everybody's looking at the wrong comics. They should be watching you. That meant more to me than a fucking Academy Award. If you, listen, that meant at that time, that night, I didn't even do coke that night. I was so excited. I couldn't even fucking sleep that Chris Rock was talking about me. So for a guy like me, comedy saved my life because I never really had nothing else. I never really had nothing else that I was even... I was good at shit, but I didn't want to put the work in. I didn't want to put the work in. Comedy, the work was easy for me. It was very easy for me. It was very, uh, it came naturally. I understood what my fuck I had to do. So this whole time, I'm thinking that Brody's the same guy I am. I'm thinking that, wait a second, we're out of the fucking weeds here. We're at the store. We're getting spots. And he was Captain Midnight at the fucking store. You know who was Captain Midnight? Sam Kennison. Sam Kennison had that shit that he went up at midnight. Brody was Captain Midnight. I'm not even Captain Midnight. I don't want to be fucking Captain Midnight. Brody was Captain Midnight. That's a, You know you? Paul Mooney was Captain Midnight. That's who went up at midnight. Special fucking savages go up at midnight. They want to go up at midnight. They request to go up at midnight. So I, I thought he had something. There's no way. Listen, in my darkest moments, when I was in the hotel with $6, I had a show that night. That's all that mattered to me. I had a fucking show that night. And in three or four hours, even though I was broke and nothing was going on, I didn't have a girlfriend, I was living out of boxes, I had a show tonight. And in my world, that's all that mattered on a daily. I, if I had a show... And had a way to snort a couple fucking lines. Are you kidding me? And I could eat a Subway sandwich, a veggie and cheese. I'm good to go. I'm in love with comedy. <coughs> so I thought when Brody came in here this last time, he looked good. He acted normal. I was around for his first bout. When Zach Galifianakis had a call around, the police arrested him, and they took him to the fucking uh, uh, mental health place for a couple of days, and he was observation, and he came out, and he was like, I'm back. He had, a, he had a new lease on life. So he pulled the wool over my eyes. 
That's another complete part of the grief program. It's like the guy that you talk to and tells you at 7 o'clock at night that he's fine, he's been going to AA meetings, and then the next day you realize he fucking shot a hot fucking load and now he's dead. Wait a second. I saw him last night at 7 o'clock, and he told me he was just coming back from a fucking AA meeting. That's the same way this took us. That's the same way this took me. Because you said, you told me a couple weeks ago that you you, you were thinking about his last 10 minutes, and that really struck me. Like, I, that's a dark place to go, even just for you. Like, most people get sad because he's not there, and, well, like, I, I wish I could have helped, but, like, that's a, that's a really dark place to go is the last 10 minutes. Like, why do you think, why do you think that came to your mind? Because I wanted to know what was in his mind those last 10 minutes. While he was tying a rope or figuring out where to throw the rope over to hang himself or putting the noose over his neck and pulling on it to see if it was on tight. Like where his mind went, like where his mind went. And and it was funny because that two, the night or the night after Brody, till I got the news from Steve Simone, I was watching FX and Concussion was on. Will Smith. It's a football movie about a doctor who discovers CTE in Pittsburgh with all the Pittsburgh Steelers and stuff like that. And, you know, Junior Seah was fine. He was fine that morning or something. He was with his daughter. I don't know. And then he went and shot himself. You know, I want to know where what his, he was thinking his last 10 minutes. You know, the last 10 minutes for Brody Stevens, I don't know if he was at the store the night he hung himself. I don't know if he had come home from the store. I don't know if he had gotten bad news. You know, some people said it was comments that people had made about his special. I think Brody had thicker skin than that. I think that Brody had thicker skin than that. So the last 10 minutes of his life, listen, okay. A couple weeks ago, I'm sitting at the dinner table with my wife. And we're talking about fucking her going back to Nashville for uh, Easter week or some shit. We were just looking around the calendar to see when it was a best week for her to go. And was she, you know, my wife does everything on her fucking phone. So right there at the dinner table, she goes, well, she goes, the plane tickets are this much money. I think there was six seventy six for her and the baby to go back each. And she goes, if I wait till... This time, they go down to 440 or something like that. It wasn't really a big deal. It, you know, I understand the plane industry, and I understand the plane tickets. And now, you know, Atlanta's hot. Nashville's hot. So they charge you like an extra $100 to go to fucking Nashville and American or, you know, Southwest goes there. But the amount that they wanted in April was fucking a lot. They wanted a lot for a regular fucking ticket to Nashville, okay? Me and my wife discussed it. And after 10 minutes, we came to the conclusion, like normal people, that uh, we weren't going to go. So in 10 minutes, we decided that we weren't going to go. And that was a decision that we made. Let me break it down more for you guys, especially men that listen to this podcast. You ever go home with three beers in you 
and you start calling chicks to come over, and you start calling them and calling them and calling them, and one chick is 45 minutes away, and the other girl has to get ready, and the other girl won't come over unless you have cocaine, so I got to call you a drug dealer, but he's at a bar, and all, and all of a sudden, you just take your dick out, jerk off, and you go to bed, and nothing fucking happened, you know? That's the same thing I thought about. Like, let's say he got home, he took the noose, he fucking made it, <laughs> but he looked at it. After a minute, you go, what was I, th what am I thinking? And you throw the fucking noose under the bed and hope nobody never sees it. That's why I say his last 10 minutes. You know, how many times did I fucking, I used to be coked up at three in the morning. And I'd be fucking coked up. I'd look in the mirror. My jaw would be going. My eyes would be glassy. And I would start walking downstairs to get in the car to go over to pick up coke from somebody. And I had common sense that I knew I couldn't get a DUI. And I know for a fact I'm a fucking bullshit artist. But if I'm coked up and a cop pulls me over, I will fall apart in the seams. You guys know, even though I was a junkie fuck, I would sit I would go back upstairs and figure out a way that I didn't have to get in the car so I could still get coke. Even if I had to pay the guy an extra 10 bucks. This is before Uber or anything. You know, I would do it. That's what I'm trying to say to you. His last 10 minutes, even if he thought about it for nine minutes, and the last minute he goes, ah, fuck this. What am I fucking thinking? That's why I said the last 10 minutes. Because this just didn't bore. Listen, Chris Cornell did a fucking show. Got off, the, got off the stage, called his wife. She felt his voice was a little, his uh, tone was a little, he was slurring his words. She called the security guard to check on him, and he had hung himself. So what was Chris Cornell's last 10 minutes like? He just got off the phone with his wife. What do you tell your wife when you have kids? Hey, honey, I love you. I just finished the show. It was great. I'm going to go upstairs and maybe get a late night bite to eat. And I'll call you in the morning when I wake up. Don't forget to tell my daughter. Don't forget to tell whatever my daughter's name is, Mercy, to uh, have a good day at school. Don't forget to tell my son that I love him. Okay? You say those things. So now, in between that phone call and going up to his hotel room, where did his brain snap? and tell him to get a belt and hang himself. Where? That's the, that's the question that I have. What happened on the way up? Now, one thing that people have been saying at the comedy store is, is that he went off his medications, and then he went back on them. And that could be something. You know, it's like what's going on now in America, that people do heroin, and then you get off the heroin, and then you go back on the heroin, but you do the same amount you were doing and your tolerance went down, so it's a hot needle. Now you die. Is the medication work the same way? Oh, you're you're not supposed to go cold turkey. Like it's a, like it, it, that's a very serious thing. So once you're on that medication, you're on that medication forever, and they have to keep twerking. And and they can get you off of it, but it's supposed to be like a multi-week process. So isn't it better if we just don't go on the medication? Is this medication, this and that? Because all I hear about this, like they, a, friend, a dear friend of mine called me about six months ago and said they prescribed Zoloft. 
But when you see the commercial for Zoloft, I think it's an antidepressant, it tells you you're going to have suicidal feelings and suicidal thoughts. You know, the the, 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 the pill did not take cigarettes. Like if you want to get off cigarettes, Chanquil, whatever the fuck it is that Ray Liotta does, they tell you you're going to get suicidal tendencies. I don't know if you ever smoke cigarettes and you quit. You think about suicide on its own. You don't need a fucking pill to get you that. When you quit smoking and you do those first three fucking days, you think about fucking putting a bullet in your fucking head. It's the worst feeling in the goddamn world. But, you know, what my point is, is why would they prescribe this medication if it has suicidal tendencies? If it even brings you to that, these are the questions that I have. And I'm not a doctor. And yeah, I've looked into a couple things even before Brody died. Even before Brody's death, you know, I would stay up late and look at the internet some nights about depression. You know, that they did a show about the dark side of comedy on CNN. And it had me fucking going. When Robin Williams died, I wasn't personal friends with Robin Williams. I had met him once at the improv, and I saw him one night at the comedy store. I didn't know him personally. So, yes, it affected me because I have the mind of a comic, and you're telling me that this is susceptible amongst comics. When I watch that dark side of comedy, you know, and the dark side is depression. That's what they all kept talking about was depression. So, you know, so now in my older age, this is what I worry about. Like, this really scares me that what happens to me now between 9 and 11 at night when I'm on 9.30 to 11 when I'm home by myself and my mind goes into these places that... And my mind never goes into weird places. I never let my mind... I told you guys honestly the truth. I thought about suicide two times. Once it was after my mother died... And I think the other time, no, I think it was after my mother died. And once when I was going through that cocaine thing and I was homeless in 83, 84, I was really putting myself in a rut. I didn't know where I was going to go. And I didn't know. And I went to bed thinking about jumping off a bridge. But obviously, I didn't have the balls to, so I never fucking did. The closest I came to feeling suicidal was that Christmas holiday of 79. That was the closest because I, the pain was overbearing. But obviously it wasn't that overbearing at that age compared to what Brody was going through, you know? I really wanted to do this podcast for the last couple of weeks, but I wanted to be prepared. I wanted to be prepared emotionally. I didn't want to bring a comedian in here and break down the life of Brody and showing us crying. That's not what I wanted to show you people today. I just wanted to talk to you about those last 10 minutes. And if you ever go there, I want you to know that seriously, seriously, you have fucking options. Okay, you don't want to call a suicide hotline. I remember my buddy one time who was snorting coke. Who <laughs> was snorting coke. And he called cocaine <laughs> As we were snorting the coke, we were, we were going on a two-day binge. And we're sitting around a table, and, and he's staring at the phone every couple of minutes. And he kept saying under his breath, Lord, please help me. Lord, please help me. He kept mumbling. I kept going, Roger, what are you saying? He kept saying, Lord, 
please help me. Lord, please help me. And he would do another line. There was this guy that every time, every time he'd come in the room, he'd go, dun, 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 and he'd open up a package. And it was like maybe two or three grams of Coke, and he'd put it on the table. I forget what the guy's name was. This guy did it 10 times that night. And we were six of us sitting around the table. We were to the point we weren't even talking to each other. We were just staring at each other. Everybody was sweating. Everybody smelled bad. There was chicks in the living room. We couldn't even talk to them. We were so fucked up. And Roger kept looking at the phone. And finally, he just gets up out of his chair, grabs the phone, and dials fucking cocaine. <laughs> they had a cocaine hotline? They had a cocaine hotline in 83. Oh. Right? And he called, and he's like, cocaine hotline, I can't stop snowing. <laughs> and the lady said, call me back when you stop snorting. And he went off on her. What the fuck do I need you for when I stop snorting? Uh, By that time, I'll be sleeping. I don't need you. So I'm not talking about a suicide hotline. There are people you could call. But listen, the people around you are the people that you have to call. Just one person. It's got to be the most embarrassing fucking call in the world. For somebody, I can't even imagine being there. But if it saves a life, that's all that matters to me, guys. What the fuck are your friends there for? See, again, this is the fourth level of grieving. There's so many levels to grieving. My mother's going to be dead 40 fucking years this November. And at the end of the day... When the baby's sleeping and my wife is in bed and I just got back from the comedy store and I stopped in Yum Yum Donuts to get a brand muffin, at the end of the day, I always think about my mom or I think about, you know, what the fuck happened. Like, I wish she could be around to see my fucking daughter. So the grieving process never ends because it comes in different levels. Like I said, first it's anger, then it's pain, then it's questions, then it's frustration, then you get pissed at the person. Like right now I'm in the phase that I still feel sad over what Brody did, but I guarantee you in about eight months, I'm going to be a little fucking pissed off. Somebody's going to come in here and we're going to be doing a podcast, somebody's going to bring up his name, and I'm going to say something fucked up because... That's what happens. You go through different levels. You know, at first I was in shock over my mother dying. And then I'm like, how the fuck couldn't she take care of herself when she knew she had a fucking kid? And then you just realize that whenever you have an expiration date, my friend, how you go is, I don't know how you go, but we all have an expiration date. So you go through that fucking part of it. I feel bad for Brody's family. I feel bad for Brody's immediate family, which is us at the comedy store. Uh, my suggestion, and I'm going to talk to Steve Simone about this, is that we do a big benefit show, and we call it the Brody Stevens, uh, you know, whatever fund. I don't want to give it a fucking name or something. And I'd like to get a psychiatrist that's well-known in the Hollywood area. And if a comic needs to talk to somebody, we could dip into that fund. They could build a comedy store, and the fund could pay 
for a therapy session or two or three or four, whatever is needed at the time. You know, that's the only way we're going to stop this shit from happening. Listen, you guys know my reputation, that I check in with people. I also try to check in with people that I see have a reason to go off the reservation. Something that you guys might not heard of, but I did, that something's going on in their personal life, that along with comedy, life, spots, your agents, your fucking manager, your fucking cousin that needs this. There's so many variables that there's one thing that could push you over the top. That's why when I hear people getting into tr into certain jams, I check in with them a couple days and I check in with them again because I don't want them to stray off the reservation. It's not, you know, I always make this an expression. It's not how many people you shoot, it's who you shoot. That work, you know, if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. You could just get so many no's until you get a no that pushes you over the top. You know, when somebody's show doesn't get picked up, when somebody's show gets canceled, there's little things that happen in this town that we hear amongst each other that could push a regular fucking person over the top. I mean, this is a hard life here, guys. This is not for everybody. They're not giving out fucking donations on the Sunset Strip. You know, Hollywood is a fucking machine. You ask yourself, what happened a few weeks ago with this Jesse Smollett guy? He seems like a nice guy. I mean, on paper, you look at him, he's a fucking sweetheart of a guy. What would make a guy do this? I'm sure that if Jesse Smollett sat in your kitchen and talked to you and you smoked a joint with him or whatever, he'd be a nice guy. What would make Jesse Smollett do something like this? You know, what makes women want to suck your dick for a fucking movie? Or a guy. The Hollywood machine plays with your mind. Whether it's music, whether it's, you know, fucking comedy, whether it's film. You know, we're reading more and more now of every week, every other week. Somebody else took their life last week. A musician from the 90s or something. So this is something that could be medication-based. I don't fucking know. I don't have the fucking answers. I don't have the answers to this. All I know is that, you know, tonight I have to go say goodbye to this fucking kid. And I feel terrible because you guys, you guys saw me sit across from him. And listen, you know, Let's get something fucking straight. You know, I love doing this podcast, but there's certain people that come in here and they're my family, and you could feel it in the podcast. It's not an interview, it's a conversation. You guys even know when it's a conversation amongst good friends. You guys have said it to me. When I've had Ralphie in here or Rogan, my relationship with Rogan, there's just certain people that people mesh with you know, you guys knew I love Brody Stevens. You knew it. I had him on the show. Every time I saw him, I gave him a big hug. I knew him from 1995, and I didn't know about his struggles till a couple of years ago. And after that, I think after the we brought him up to the show up there after the struggles, and I was breaking his balls. I, I said, I'm checking you for weapons. <laughs> and we were laughing and the whole thing. I mean, Brody had a great sense of humor, you know, so... 
I just, uh, I'm really sorry if you guys think that I was, uh, you know, I put a bunch of girls on here and a bunch of guys. I did not want to come on this podcast and drag the Brody Stevens saga on you. You had seen it enough on the internet. A lot of you have felt it. I've felt your support. You know what I feel like. And a lot of you guys, if you know anything about me, I fucking sweep that shit under the rug. I sweep that shit under the rug because I got a job to do. You know, Sip, Sam Tripoli's not over it. Red Band's not over it. There are so many people right now that I talk to. And I've been calling a lot of people. Theo, there's a lot of different people that have been rocking and rolling with it. But at the same time, there's a lot of people that have been struggling with it. A lot of the waitresses at the store, a lot of the staff. You know, I know the talent coordinators having a hard time with it. And tonight it all comes to a head. I didn't want you guys to ever think that I avoided Brody. No, 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 no. It was just too soon. It was just too soon. And it was all over the internet, and I didn't want to dig into it. And I wanted to wait. I wanted to wait and see how I really felt. I didn't want to come on here with me and Josh were thinking of doing a podcast that Sunday night. I'm happy we didn't. Because we would have came on here, and we both would have been a fucking crime mess, you know. Uh, I'm going to go there tonight. I'm going to speak my mind. And uh, I hope Brody rest in peace. I hope that, you know, I mean, as a Catholic, I'm raised to believe a ton of stupid fucking shit, but I don't, I hope his soul is resting. I hope his soul looks down on us and sees how many people are hurting that he did this, you know, I mean, you always try to add some humor to this. I can just imagine Brody right now arguing with God, like, I want to go back. Yeah. I want to go to opening day. You know, I made a fucking mistake. <coughs> I mean, that, <clears throat> that's what I saw. Because I had known Brody for a few years. But to me, what I saw was that... Because what, what I would imagine is that he didn't think that... It, a, people wouldn't care. Or he thought maybe he was doing people a favor. And everyone from, like, the Chicago Cubs to, to actors and comedians... Had had nothing but positive, loving things to say about him, and I, I, what I think is, what I'm hoping is he just didn't realize it, and I'm hoping that people, like what you were saying earlier, call a friend, is I think that's what happens is people think, oh, it'll be better for everyone if I'm gone or no one will care. Hopefully, if 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 anything good can come from what happened to Brody, is that even. People, you, there's someone who cares. Even if you feel like you have nobody, there's one person who will be upset that you're gone. I just wish he would have reached out. You know, I wish he would have reached out to somebody. Like, he had so many people he could have called. He had just done a few podcasts that week, and nobody saw nothing. This is why this is so hard. This is why this grieving process is going to be so hard. Because nobody fucking saw it coming. Listen, Ari once told me that every time he saw Ralphie, he would always hug him really hard. Because he always thought that that'd be the last time he saw Ralphie. As as fucked up as that sounds, I think the last three times we saw Ralphie, we, we, when he left here, we were like... 
He doesn't look good. He's getting bigger, you know, whatever. I didn't see no warning signs of Brody at all, guys. And I didn't hear of any. That's what's got us all fucked up. That nobody, yeah, he went off the medication. I don't fucking know anything about this. Now I've investigated it. But I, guys, I'm sorry. I just did not even see this, not even a hint of it. Let me tell you something. I can't mention their names, but I can see three comics that you guys know killed themselves before Brody in my world. I worry about two other comics in life than I worried more about Brody. That's why it shocked me more. Like if somebody would call me and say, dot, 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 killed himself, I've seen it coming over the last couple of years. He's been struggling with it. He's been struggling with alcoholism or whatever. With Brody, he gave us no hints, guys. Again, he sat here in this chair across from me less than two months ago. You guys saw him. Not one of you guys hit me back on Twitter and said, Joey, Brody didn't look good on your fucking podcast. And it got close to, I don't know how many hits on YouTube. So none of us fucking saw it. So, you know, blame, blame, blame. I would love to be one of those people that could say that, you know, I couldn't have changed his mind. Nobody's going to change his fucking mind. That's why those last 10 minutes are the ones that fucking destroy me. Whether it was Brody, whether it was Chris Cornell, whether it was the other singer that killed himself, those last 10 minutes when your mind just goes left and keeps pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. You know, like I'm saying to you guys, let me call three girls. You're horny, you're drunk. You're pushing, you're pushing, you're pushing. At one point you go, it's not gonna happen. Let me just take my dick out, whack it off, and no. And then you go to bed and you wake up, and all three of them showed up, and they all. You know what I'm saying? It's one of those things. Those last ten minutes are what destroyed me about Brody. You know, every time you lose somebody, you lose a little piece of yourself. I'm telling you this at the age of 56 that every one of my friends' death has taken. I'm not gonna say it. I can't live without. That's bullshit. But a little piece, it makes you learn. It makes you stop and smell the roses a little bit. You know, when Ralphie died, I immediately fucking looked at my life and I looked at my time. And the one thing I would notice about Ralphie was his waste of time, like the time. He had all this time. And, you know, I started doing more with my time. If I learned anything from Brody is that I'm really, really, really going to look at myself because I'm very scared. I'm very fucking scared. I'm very scared that that could happen to any of us in the comedy community where your mind just takes a left turn and keeps going. and keeps going. And like I said, when I was younger and my mom died, I was trying to kill myself with the drugs, but not really. Like if I happened to die, I would have died. Nobody would have gave a fuck. It was an OD. And I literally thought about, you know, like fucking killing myself that night when I was 16. But my mind didn't keep going. Somewhere along the line, something fucking stopped me. 
it even wasn't thinking that people loved me. I think it was a warmth that was greater than that. It wasn't honest to God. It had nothing to do with my friends at that time or anything. I didn't give a fuck. I just thought that there was something greater that stopped me and that it made me live another fucking day. And I never thought about it again. I've never been suicidal since that time again. And I wasn't even really suicidal then. It was just a thought that went through your mind. When that thought goes through your mind, that's, you know, and it's gone through all of our minds at one time or another. I know it has. We're all human beings. We all think, what if, what if, you know, no. You know, God has an expiration day for you, and all you could do is live it out, whether you go out from a fucking disease, or old age, or dementia. <sighs> we get a three-year, 36,000-mile warranty, my friend. I think when you're about 36, things start falling apart and loosening, you start to see them. All I want to do is, uh, you know, you guys to, when you get a minute today at some point, stop think about your lives and maybe say a prayer for fucking Brody Stevens and uh, they're gonna do a live stream tonight from the comedy store if you guys wanna watch it I think you go on Twitter and uh, just look around all day today there'll be different things but they're gonna do a live stream if you guys wanna watch it they're gonna live stream the main room event and they're gonna live stream the belly room event and a bunch of us are gonna go down there I think gonna, it starts at 7.30 and they're gonna do some, the family's gonna show up, they're gonna play Brody special. I'm gonna go down there about nine, see some people, give some hugs, and I'm gonna tell them what I'm gonna tell you, okay? And here it is in a nutshell. I want you to get three of your fucking friends. I know a lot of you, whether one of them is your cousin, a girl at work that you're friendly with, and you know what, man? Start checking in with them, you know? Start checking in with them. Just practice. Practice calling people and not asking them for something. We only call people when we want something or we want them to do something for us or something. Try calling somebody and just saying hello and asking them about their day. Try to do that from now on. Do me that favor along with your goals. Okay, you're going to do your goals. But on top of that, I want you to physically pick up the fucking phone, dial the number, and listen to that person's voice. There's a reason why I call people. There's a reason why I hate text messaging. There's a reason. If you give a fuck about me, and I give a fuck about you, and you're having a rough day, I can tell by listening to your voice. That is the reason why I call people. So I'm going to tell them tomorrow night the same thing I'm telling you. Pick three people in your fucking life and check in with them. And if you hear one of your friends is going through a rough patch, check in with them. You don't need to take them for a beer. You don't need to show up with an expensive gift. You don't need none of that stuff. You have no idea what the miracle of a phone call could do. The miracle of a fucking phone call. How are you doing? I know you're going through a fucking rough patch. And trust me. There's a thousand people I could call every day. And I try to call three or one or two. I try to do one a day. Check in with people. If you see people are going astray a little bit, check in with them. Again, you don't have to stick your fucking nose up their ass. 
but checking in with them. You know what? You know what I do with the people? I check in with them late at night to really fuck with you. I check in with you because why? If I learn something from my mother, if I learn something from me, the pain starts creeping in when you're alone at night. All day long when you're doing your shit, bop da bop da bop and you're bullshit and you're telling your stories about the time you went to fucking Egypt and you smoked hash with this fucking dude from Poland or whatever the fuck. All that shit's great. That's what keeps your mind occupied. It's when you go home at night. I call Kate at night. I call Theo Vaughn sometimes at 11.30 at night. I'll call Ari at fucking 2 in the morning. I'll get up at 1 just to call Ari at 4. And go, now I don't know because he's getting a girlfriend. He's moving in with her in April, so I really can't call him late at night. I will call in with people at that time because my uncle, I'll call my uncle fucking 11.30 at night because you're alone. You're alone with your thoughts. This is when you could either win or lose when you're alone with your thoughts. All day long, we're, we're stimulated by the internet, the fucking cell phone, this, that. It's when we're alone that we're our most dangerous. I know I'm the most dangerous, and I'm fucking alone. When I'm alone, Jesus Christ, that's when my mind wanders. That's where you might take that fucking thing that you've been saving in the closet. You might take a hit of that thing you've been saving in the closet. Whatever. Just do me a favor. Take two people, three people in your life and start checking in with them. I really want to get this podcast out of the way because... Uh, I know you guys been waiting on my take, and I want to let you know how I feel. Like I said, I wanted to think about it first before I just raised my hand on here. I didn't want to do a fucking group group podcast. I wanted to talk to you about how I felt from the heart. And listen, man, yeah, a little bit of me is hurting. But guess what? I got a job to do. I got mouths to feed, and... uh we all need each other, you know? And I think that the more we look after our friends, the less these type of situations will happen in our backyard. I want to dedicate this podcast to Brody. I want to thank you guys for listening. Again, I didn't want to drag a dog in here on you. We'll be back Wednesday fucking smoking pot, doing drugs and giggling and all that shit. But today, Monday, I want to open up this pot this week with this because uh, tonight's the memorial and uh, it was just important for me to do this podcast. I want to thank the people who came out to all the shows in Houston this last weekend. But I also want to thank my sponsors. Number one, ZipRecruiter. Let me tell you something. Hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash church. Listen, hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, a stack of resumes, confusing review process. But today, hiring is easy and it's simple and smart with ZipRecruiter.com. Why? As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter will get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. So do me a favor. Right now, today, the church family can try ZipRecruiter for free. 
at ZipRecruiter.com slash church. That's C-H-U-R-C-H. ZipRecruiter.com slash church. Right now, you, I don't care how small, how big your business is, if you're a family of the church, you could try out ZipRecruiter for free. Free, free, free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash church, C-H-U-R-C-H. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash church. Bitches, fucking March Madness is here, cocksuckers. Lift the rock. Brackets, first round upsets. It's the final four. Now, this is the best time to bet with my bookie. Would you rather sit on your office desk or call out sick and binge on NCAA tournament games and junk food? Like, that's even a fucking choice. But sometimes it feels good to be bad, especially when it's in somebody with someone you trust. Now, if you're looking to place a bet this fucking March Madness season, you're doing it through fucking mybookie.eg. Is it dot E-G? A-G! I'm sorry. You know, I forgot the fucking reef is getting to me. They've been in business for years, and they've been growing like wildfire, all right? The best part is they pay out fast. So when you call that 12 over 5 upset this year, make sure to celebrate. You'll be pocketing cold, hard motherfucking cash. March Madness is the most exciting, action-packed sporting event of the year. Even grandmothers fucking fill out the brackets. So do me a favor. If you're going to place a bet, place it with my bookie now before you miss out. What I'm going to do for you is this for March Madness. My bookie will match your deposit with a 50% bonus up to $1,000. Joey, what are you saying? You put in 1000 bucks, they put in a nickel. How's that for you? Use promo code CHURCH. C-H-U-R-C-H to activate the offer. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid like a motherfucker only at mybookie.ag. Okay, listen. You're going to bet anyway. If you're going to bet, bet with the best that's out there. Go to mybookie.ag. I want to thank mybookie. I want to thank ZipRecruiter. Most importantly, I want to thank you guys for supporting the podcast and whatnot. Do me a big favor. Uh, three shows are sold out the Pittsburgh Improv already. If you're going to get your tickets, get your tickets. I'm there between March 4th and the 6th. I think Saturday's all sold out and Friday late sold out. I might add a Thursday show. I'm not sure yet because I can't get a fucking direct flight. Number two, 419, Fitzgerald Theater celebrating pre-420. And then 420, I'm at the Paps motherfucking theater in Milwaukee. How's that for you, cocksuckers? That's all I got coming up. That's it. It's a slow month. I'm doing some other things. But most importantly, we're doing it fucking right. I love you guys. Thank you for this podcast today. I want to dedicate it to Brody Stevens. I wish he rests in peace. And uh, as you guys know, we're all going to miss him here on the Church Podcast. I'll see you guys Wednesday. Tip top, Magoo. Ready to motherfucking go. Kick this mule, Lee. I want to be around to pick up the pieces when somebody breaks your heart. Some somebody twice as smart as I.
a somebody who will swear to be true as you used to do with me who leave you to learn that misery loves company wait and see I mean I want to be around to see how he does it when he breaks your heart to bits let's see if the puzzle fits so fine and that's when I'll discover that revenge is sweet as I sit there applauding from a front row seat when somebody breaks your heart like you 